The following audio is from Sacred City Church. For more information, please visit sacredcitychurch.com. Got a whole chapter to cover today. Buckle up. All right? Here we go. So Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and Lot Lot went with him into the Negev. Okay? So right away, so Abram went up. This is a good sign. What What did he do last week? He went down. Okay, Abram is now going up, right? That's what biblical repentance looks like. We're going to jump right in. God rebuked Abram through Pharaoh, and now Abram is responding to that. Abram is responding with repentance, and he's going back to where he's supposed to be. Church, that is what is what repentance is. It's not just feeling bad and asking for forgiveness. Repentance is a change in behavior. Repentance is a change in direction. Oh, this ain't going to be popular. You are not repenting if you are still living with your girlfriend and sleeping together. Move out. Period. You are living in unrepentant sin. It really doesn't matter how bad you feel about it or how many times you beg and ask for forgiveness and how many times you weep and how many times you get on your knees and how many times you look at each other and say, we'll never do it again. None of that matters. Repentance is a change in direction. So Abram the pimp here accepts the chastisement from the hand of God. If you weren't here last week, he literally pimped his wife out. Okay, so I'm not just like saying like he's my boy or something. No, Abram pimped out his wife, all right? And now he accepts the chastisement. He accepts the rebuke. He accepts the discipline from the Lord and he gets the message. He gets it. Oh, I'm disobeying God. Oh, I'm outside the will of God. Oh, and he repents. He leaves Egypt and he goes back up to the place where he's supposed to be. Abram returns. He repents and once again places his hand in the hand of God Almighty. Now listen, this is our life, guys. Why do we repent every week? Because all week long, we said, we took our hand out of the hand of God. We said, I'm going to do it my way again. I'm going to ignore you. I think I'm, I'm smarter. I want to do it my way. I want to forget how, you know, all the stuff in your word about how you say this is how a human is supposed to live. This is the best life possible for a human being in community, on mission, in relationship. No, no, I want to do it my own self. We're reminded on a Sunday morning corporate gathering that there's a covenant to renew. That there's a, okay, I repent. I walk away. God never walks away from me. I walk away from him. I need to place my hand back in the hand of the almighty God. So I pray that some of us have already done that, and I pray some of us continue to do that today. That we will repent. We will change directions. We'll allow the Spirit to work in us to bring about this. See, funny thing though, look at verse 2. Now Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold. And he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai. Now listen, funny thing, he was disobedient, but he got rich. 
I'm not saying. You can, you can be a crooked businessman all you want, and maybe you will get rich. Maybe you will. Right? You can, in your sin, you can amass wealth, and you can amass comfort, and you can, you can do that. See, Abram doesn't come back empty-handed. He's gotten filthy rich in Egypt. And now, but this is what's happening. Now he doesn't come back with just his family either. Now Abram is rolling with a pretty deep entourage. Coming back to the promised land with a lot more cares and a lot more responsibilities and a lot more people to feed and a lot more mouths to feed and a lot more animals. So this is what Abram does. Verse, or chapter 4. Or he returns in chapter 3, verse 4. He returns to the place where he had made an altar at the first. That's a place of worship. He returns to the place of worship. And there, Abram called upon the name of the Lord. So this is what Abram does. He realizes his sin. He's been a fool. He's been a horrible husband. He's been a, ter- he's been a terrible representative of God. He's been fearful. He's been selfish. He's been more awed by the lure of wealth than by the presence of God. Listen, don't fight it. Don't defend it. Admit your sin. Confess it to God and return. Let's not complicate this thing. Now you can justify, you know how exhausting it is to, com- to try to justify yourself, to try to overcompensate and overcorrect and, and, and outmaneuver the guilt and the shame that you feel for living in unrepentant sin? That's exhausting. Abram's, Abram, our boy here, is showing us, confess it, admit it, repent, change directions. What does he do? He goes back. To the place where he met God. He goes back to his place of worship. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. And what does God do? What does God do? Nothing yet. Nothing. But isn't that a little shocking? It is to me because I think this would be a great point in the story for a good old I told you so or parental lecture. Did you have fun in Egypt? How's your wife? She doing well? Relationship going well? Right? Things working out for you, boy? They working out all right, Abram? Huh? That whole obey God thing, right? That whole I'm making a covenant with you. Disobey me. Does it go well for you? That's not what God does, though. God is so gracious. Abram came back. That's the point. He repented. He turned from his folly and his sin. And God is gracious. Now, I hope you know that is exactly how God will treat you. God treats us the same way when we come back to him in repentance. If you will humble yourself repent and change directions. Don't just keep, you know, I'm, I'm in this now, so I got to keep going. Somebody's going to find out. So I just got to keep going and plugging away and hopefully things will get better. Hopefully the business will turn around. Hopefully if I just keep living in this sin, you know, then our relationship will get better. Stop. 
repent, admit it, humble yourself, change directions. You've got to make some changes. Now listen, one thing I want you to see here is none of this, repentance, none of it happened behind closed doors. Isn't that where we want repentance to take place? God, tell me in my prayer closet. Don't expose my sin to my family. Don't let my missional community see it. Don't let those close to me see my... Just send me an email or something. And I'll try to get it figured out. But God uses Pharaoh. And Pharaoh goes off. Pharaoh goes off on Abram. And Abram gets kicked out, booted from Egypt. He probably gets an escort off, off the property. This is no hiding God's chastisement, hiding God's judgment, hiding God's dissatisfaction. His whole family is under his leadership and they're looking like, Ooh, he did it. He's in trouble. Right? Imagine his wife is like, get him, Jesus, get him. Abram's whole entourage knew about it. But then this is what's cool too. This altar that Abram returns to, this isn't something behind, you know, behind closed doors and locked in a room. It's an open air altar. This whole family, his whole entourage, they all saw his descent into sin. They all saw God's chastisement and rebuking of him. They all saw God's judgment. But then they also saw, and this is beautiful parents, this is beautiful parents, Husbands, they also saw what happens when a man of faith finds his sin out, gets caught in his sin. He wa- they watched Abram return to the altar, return to the place of worship and offer up worship again and, and repent and commune with God. Beautiful. The life of faith isn't a life of perfection. That's Jesus. The life of faith for a human being now is Sin and repentance, sin and repentance, faith and repentance, constantly. Public repentance here. We see public repentance, and public repentance is beautiful. It's humbling, but it's also life-changing. So, thank God, Abram has embraced the discipline of the Lord, and he's repented of his sin, and we saw that, we saw most of that last week. How you got in trouble. Nice job, Abram. Right? a boy. There we go. Now you're redeeming yourself. Right? Abram the pimp finally repents. Good for you. Now, whoo, whoo. Thank God he is gracious, right? Abram got out of that one. Now, does that mean there won't be consequences for his rebellion and sin? Absolutely not. So he comes back to God. God doesn't give him a lecture. God doesn't give him, I told you so. We don't know what God does but we see him repent. But that doesn't mean there won't be consequences. Our sin, listen, parents, the reason you discipline right away, the reason you discipline when a children disobeys right away, not in anger, in patience, and you discipline every act of, of flagrant disobedience is because a child needs to learn that disobedience produces bad results. Right? If I disobey, I'm disobeying God and something bad, I, don't, I, not, I might not see it. I might get away with it. Something bad is going to happen. It could be just like Adam and Eve, right? Something's going to fracture. Our kids need to get that or the gospel will never really make sense to them. 
Now, listen. Abram gets right with God here. That's great. But his sin is still going to have some consequences. Let's take a look. Verse 5. And Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents. So Lot got wealthy too in Egypt. So that the land, look at this, so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together. For their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. At that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were also dwelling in the land. Listen, so many people, this is right here. I'm just going to say this. Let the drama begin. They left Egypt. They obeyed God. He's returned to God. Consequences of his sin are still in fact. He got wealthy in Egypt. Let me just quote the great theologian, uh, the notorious B.I.G. Mo money, mo problems. <laughs> Listen, so many people, young people especially, think if I just get a little bit more money, if I can just get over this hump, if I can just get out of this debt, things will be easier for me. Things will finally settle down. And Oh, All I need, and we look at those that are a little older. We look at our parents who are a little more settled and we want our houses to look just like their houses. It took them 30 years to get their houses like that. If I just get a little bit more. Abram, in the earlier chapters, we see a man who wants wealth but not righteousness. A man who wants stuff but not God himself. And now he, God in his graciousness, he says, is that what you want? Good luck with that. And he, some of us, the greatest curse in our life will be the thing you want most and God gives it to you. Here it is. How's it going to go? Let's see how it's going to go. He gets wealth. He gets money. And now the land that God sent him to can't sustain all of his stuff. Lot and Abram are so wealthy that the land cannot support them both. They both have so much livestock that the ranchers and the shepherds are looking out at the grazing areas and they quickly realize this isn't going to work. We're running out of real estate. We're running out of edible grass. This is a problem. Somebody, Abram realized somebody's going to have to leave because the resources are getting tight. Now, just see if you think this might be a universal truth. When resources get tight, relationships get strained. Has that been true for you? Money gets tight, people fight. Has that been true for you? Anybody ever experienced any relational strife caused by a lack of resources? I hate when the Bible is just so old, just doesn't relate to real life. And what's some old shepherds going to teach me, right? Anybody ever have any drama caused by the lack of resources? So we've got Abram's herdsmen and Lot's herdsmen fighting with each other over whose livestock gets the grass. Now, it might be helpful for us to remember back from last week. 
Do you remember what caused Abram to disobey God and go to Egypt? What was it that caused Abram to leave the promised land and go to Egypt? A famine. A lack of resources. Things were getting scarce, so he bounced and got... He bounced on God and he took things in his own hands. Ooh, things are getting tight. Resources are getting tight. I'm going to go up to Egypt or I'm going to go down to Egypt. Things look better in Egypt. I'm going to take things in my own hands. I'm going to go find my supply. Now listen, one thing that I've noticed that God likes to do is he likes to replay tests that we go through to make sure that we've really passed them. He likes to give us something that's not exactly the same, but it's very similar and it might feel the same. And are you going to respond the same way that you did last time? Or have you repented? Have you been changed? Has your heart, is your heart different this time around? We see this with the Israelites later who Moses is actually writing to and they've been in the desert, right? And they just keep repeating. They keep repeating. They, keep, they never learn. They grumble, complain, repent. God blesses them. Things go well. They lose him. They, you know, like this constant Repent, leave him. You know, repent faith, then leave him again. This constant, they never really learn. And I've noticed in my life that God likes to do that. He likes to replay these tests. Are we really different or are we going to react in the same way that we always have? Now, this wasn't a famine, but I bet it felt like a famine. I bet he looked out And when the panic, can you imagine all your herdsmen coming in and they're fighting and they're angry and they're like, we got to do something now. We're going to run out of supply. Our animals are going to begin to die. And then if our animals begin to die, we're going to run out of food. And if we run out of food and they're like going through the hole, like, right? You got one of those guys in there. We need to build a bunker now. We need to build a bunker and stockpile these things. We get some weapons, right? Like he's already planning for the apocalypse, right? You got these, we got problems going on. And Abram, to Abram, I can imagine, oh, this feels, like, this feels like the famine. This feels like I'm going down. This feels like I don't have enough resources. This feels like everything that God's given me, he's about to take away. This isn't that, but it feels like that. Have you ever experienced this? Are you going to trust God and believe the gospel, or are you going to take things into your own hands again? See, this is where I notice it. There's, we got these triggers. See, Abraham's showing us right here, or Moses is showing us about Abraham. Abraham had a trigger over resources. He was afraid when things got tight. It was one of his triggers to, 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 to lead him to take things in our own, own hands. Some of us have triggers like betrayal. Maybe someone very close to us has betrayed us in our life. So now anytime anyone shows a little hint of not being on our side, we react like they just betrayed us, like the person who really hurt us. Maybe it's hurt. Maybe it's rejection. We felt a a boatload of rejection as a child. And now anytime someone doesn't agree with our idea or someone says, "Ah, I don't really think that's a good idea, we react way bigger than the actual problem because it feels like something from a long time ago. If you ever had a husband leave you, you ever wife turn her back on you, 
If you ever had something big and devastating like that take place, then anytime someone makes a little, ah, I don't really want to hang out with you today, it feels like the other thing. And this, this is what's so beautiful. This is where we begin to see what a heart changed by the gospel looks like. This is where we begin to see how Abram is being changed by the hand of an almighty God. Look at verses 8 and 9. So, so hold on. We got context here. Abram probably thinks it's going down again. Famine's coming. I'm in trouble. God can't support me. God can't sustain me. He's probably feeling I should probably take things into my own hands again. He's feeling that. Verse 8. Then Abram said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me, and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. We're family. It's not the whole, is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I'll go to the right. Or if you take the right hand, then I'll go to the left. Listen, do you see this? Hold on. You should, this should shock us here. This should be surprising. Abram responds completely different than the way he did last chapter. It might feel the same. Resources are getting tight, but this time Abram doesn't take control. He trusts God. Abram keeps his hands off the reins this time. He says, oh, this feels like that, but it's, maybe it's not that, and I'm not going to take... I know it went bad last time. Okay, Father, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. It feels like a famine, but I'm going to trust you. Abram here has every right to kick Lot out of the land and choose whatever land he wants. He could say, Lot, that dirty corner over there, you take your shepherds and you get over there. I'm the one, you got rich off of me anyhow. God promised me and my descendants this land. You've just been along for the ride, Lot. Go on, get. I have the right. But what does Abram do? This blows my mind. Abram lays down his rights to the best land. Abram takes the hit personally. Abram gives up the best portion of the land and lets his nephew Lot make his choice. This should really shock us, guys. See, the dude who just pimped out his wife to get rich and save his own skin is now giving up something that is rightfully his and letting Lot get the best of him, letting Lot get the best land. Abram gives up his rights to stay in right relationship. Can I ask you today, would you, would you rather be right or in right relationship? If you're a truth person, that's a question you really need to answer. Because many of us would rather be right. We'd rather, I want to be right in my argument with my wife, I want to prove her wrong, and I'm not really worried about what it does relationally. Abram gives up his rights to stay in right relationship with with his nephew. Now, this kind of change in a person See, this is why I love it. This is why the Bible builds up moralism as an absolute antithesis of Christianity. 
You can't do this. You can't change. You can't make this happen. Selfish, self-infatuated people don't just change. People who live their whole lives to gain more and more possessions so that they can feel like a success and they can feel secure and they can feel better than other people. They don't just stop doing that. That's their life. That's their meaning. That's where they get purpose. They don't just, you can't just say, stop doing that. My daughter, my two-year-old, right? She's in whatever, the terrible twos. But it's so, it's, it's, it's terrible, it is. But it's also a little bit funny because you see the, the truth of our sinful nature come out. She does bad things. And I say, Zoe, why did you do that? Because I wanted to. And I'm kind of like, yeah, your wanter is broken, all right? What you want is broken. What you want is sinful. People can't just, right? How do you change what you want? If all of our decisions are determined by what we want, how do we change that? How can you just want to be unselfish all of a sudden? You, you don't just want, you know what I would like to do? I'd like to take the hit for people. I'd like to lay my life down self-sacrificially, let other people walk over me. That's what I'd like. I think that's how I'm gonna, what I'm going to do from now on. You can't do that. That's a human heart. That's a change. That's why we discipline our children in expectation that God is going to change their heart. We raise our, chi- raise our children. I tell them, you can't obey perfectly, babe. I know daddy makes mistakes too. You, you're expected to. And we're hoping that God, and we're believing by faith that God is going to do the work that no man can do and regenerate the heart of a person. But God, see, so we're looking here at Abram. A guy who's like us, a guy who is off sinning one minute and then getting rebuked by God the next minute. And now he has the opportunity to be filled with the Holy Spirit and to to offer up a repentant heart and a change in behavior. And now we see this, our boy, Abram, right now, we see him respond differently because the potter has been at work. God has been at work in Abram. The potter's hand has begun to shape and mold him. We saw that with Abram's repentance and his return to worship, and now we see it in his response to the test. This is a picture of a heart that's being changed by the gospel. Did you hear me? Being changed by the gospel. It's consistent, it's constant, it's not a one time deal. Gave my heart to Christ, now I'm good to go. We're being changed. We're being made into the image of Christ from glory to glory to glory. Listen, a guy who sold out his wife in order to get rich is now being generous. Humility like this, letting others go first, humility doesn't just happen. This is, a, this is the fruit of the gospel being produced in Abram. 
So this is just, I'm really thankful that Moses here, when he's writing this, is letting us into the heart of Abram. We don't see an Abram who gets called by God and then every step from then on is perfect. We don't say, oh, he gave his life to Christ and now he's a Christian. Now everything is perfect and everything is going well. And hey, everybody be like Abram. We see the call of God come into his life. He's sent out on a mission. He falls flat on his face. He repents and responds back to God. He's going to fall on his face some more. This is what it means to follow God. This proud and selfish man is submitting himself to the potter's hand and God is changing his heart. It's exciting. One of the best parts of my job here is getting to see God at work and changing people's hearts. I've witnessed dozens of you over the past year or so yield yourself, yield yourself to the potter's hand and the potter's wheel and I've watched God reveal your sin to you But then I've also had the privilege of seeing how many of you have repented from that sin and you've let God soften your heart and God mold you and God change you and God shape you and that never gets old. But some people, they don't see following God as a blessing. They don't want a soft heart. It scares them. Soft hearts can be hurt. They don't want to walk by faith. They would rather trust their own abilities. And that is what we see with Abram's nephew, Lot. Abram basically gave Lot dibs. And Lot pulls an Abram. Look in verse 10. And Lot lifted up his eyes and he saw, lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere, man. It was like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. It was like in the direction of Zor. This was before, hint, before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. We're going to talk about that in a few coming weeks. So Lot chose for who? Himself, all the Jordan Valley and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan while Lot settled among the cities of the valley. And look at this. And moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. Lot here takes a lesson out of his old Uncle Abram's book and looks after number one. You see that? Lot lifted up his eyes. Lot makes a decision through his flesh. He lets his greed and his consumerism dictate his decision. Humility is for suckers, man. You better get what you can get while the getting is good. Lot makes this decision in his flesh through his sinful desire. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 tells us that children of God walk by faith, not by sight. But Lot trusts his own decision-making ability. He trusts his gut. He trusts his eyes. He trusts what he can think. He trusts his common sense. And where does he end up? Scripture, Moses, Moses, Moses. He moved 
his tent as far as Sodom. Sodom is on the far eastern edge of the promised land. We, we remember, if you, you've been here for a while through Genesis, anytime people are moving east, it's a symbol in the scriptures that they're moving away from the promise, or they're moving away from the Garden of Eden. They're moving away from int- in intimacy with God. And now we have Lot moving to the far eastern edge, getting as far away as possible, getting on the border, getting on the edge, trying to balance, right, ride the fence. I want to be in, but I want to be out. I want to be here, but if I got to jump, I want to be able to jump anytime I can. We see him get on the far eastern edge. Now, verse 13 is going to give us a little bit of a hint, and 12 to 2, of something that's going to be coming up in the coming weeks. The people of Sodom were wicked and were great sinners, and they're going to cause Lot, oh man, they're going to cause Lot a lot of trouble. And we're going, to, we're going to study that in the coming weeks, so I'm not, going to, I'm not going to talk about it now. But right now, Moses wants us to see that Abram has been changed. The potter's hands have done some work, and Abram is responding in faith, and Lot is taken off. Lot is pulling an old Abram. Lot takes his destiny in his own hands, while Abram begins to walk in humility, entrusting himself to God. And look how God responds. Verse 14. Then the Lord said to Abram after Lot had separated from him. Stop. After Lot had separated from him. I don't want to put too much on there, but God speaks after Lot's gone. After this person is out of Abram's life for right now. If you're in sin, if you're in a sinful relationship, maybe God's saying, you need to separate. Bad business deal, get out. So verse 14, then the Lord said to Abram, after Lot separated from him. Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are. Now, this is cool. The Hebrew scholar um, Robert Alter says that God literally brings him up to this highest, the, the highest mountain in the area. Because Abram is obedient and Abram offers up and Abram gives up his rights, God now takes him up to this highest mountain in the region and he says, look, Basically, as far as your eye can see. That's what he says. Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are. Northward, southward, eastward, westward. For all the land that you see, I will give to you and your offspring and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Now we're going to talk about who the offspring is. We're going to talk about it in the coming weeks. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron, and there he built an altar to the Lord. Okay, so what happens? Now this is, let me just break it down. They separate, 
We've got Abram's repentance. We've got Abraham going and worshiping in faith. God doesn't say nothing back earlier on. But now, after Lot is separated, God speaks. God hasn't spoken to Abram in a while. He didn't speak to him in Egypt. He didn't speak to him when he worshiped early in the chapter. But now, after Lot bounces and Abram repents and passes the test, God speaks. Listen, if you are living in unrepentant sin, don't expect to hear the voice of God. Jesus promises us that his sheep hear his voice. And 1 John tells us that those sheep obey Jesus. If you are living in consistent, unrepentant sin, you can't hear God and you might not even be one of his sheep. You should have no confidence that you are in the fold, that you are one of the sheep of Jesus if you are living in consistent, unrepentant sin. Unrepentance is not a joke. And you can't look at, well, I'm not, I'm like, I'm not as bad as this guy. He's not the standard. I want, to say, I want to take a minute here to plead with you this morning. God is good and God is gracious. He brought you here this morning and he desires for you to turn from your sins and turn to him. There is forgiveness to be found in the grace of God, but there is more than that, people. Listen to me, church. There is more than forgiveness for you. Some of you have been tricked into believing that the only reason to come to church is to get forgiven. The only reason to come to Christ is to be forgiven. That is a benefit. That is, but that is, a, that is like a prerequisite for the main deal. That is the washing up before dinner. You get forgiven so that you can sit at a table with God and you can speak and you can commune and you can have fellowship with Him. Don't come to church It's like going to dinner and just forgetting about the dinner. Now I'm just going to keep washing my hands. The washing the hands is to prepare you for dinner. Getting forgiveness is to prepare you for a life lived in communion with the Almighty God. There's a relationship to be had. God speaks and desires, and it's crazy that he would want to, but he desires, he he humbles himself to speak and to commune with his people. And there is nothing, there is nothing as thrilling and soul satisfying as hearing the voice of God and obeying him. Nothing. Not an undefeated college football team. Not a new pair of jeans. Not a new boat. Not another Harley. Not a doctorate degree. Not a million dollars. Not even another child. There is nothing as thrilling as hearing the voice of God and then obeying. And most of the time, that voice comes through his word, the Bible. Some of you are hearing God speak to you right now through the preaching of the word this morning. So God, in his grace, speaks to Abram. God speaks to him. And God, what God does is he reiterates his covenant with Abram. And this time he gives him a little more detail. It's very cool. This is a much fuller vision of what God is going to do than the last time he told him. 
When God first made the covenant with Abram, he promised to make him into a great nation. Now, he says, your descendants will be so numerous, they'll be like the dust of the earth. We won't even be able to count them. Listen, God right here, this Babylonian moon, moon worshiper, this dude who fails, God should not be speaking to this guy, right? He just pimped out his wife last week. But God's at work in him. God has chosen him. God has made him righteous through his faith. God is doing this. And now God is speaking to him. And what does God do? This is what God's word does. It expands our vision. It expands our capacity for life. Listen, God knows how he made us. God knows why he made us. God knows what he made us for. And every time we go to scripture to study something, God is wanting to expand our vision. Now, what do I mean by that? This is what it means by that. I thought I knew what, I, what it meant to be a father. I thought I knew what that looked like until I read the Bible. And now I'm, I'm responsible for that. I thought, a friend of mine said this, Many men think that being a father means putting a roof over their heads and putting food in their belly. Congratulations, a possum does that. Being a father is much more, much more than providing for just physical needs. What does it mean to lead my kids spiritually? What does it mean to teach them to walk in the ways of God? What does it mean to shepherd them in the way that it should go? Expanded my vision. Expanded my capacity, what fatherhood is. I thought I knew how to be a good husband until I read the Bible. I thought if she had money in the bank and a roof over her head, she was going to be happy. That's what it was about. Give her some kids. I did that. And the Bible says stuff like, wash her with the water of the word of God. What? What? Love her like Christ loved, like who? Like he did, ooh, ooh. My capacity, my vision of being a husband just expanded. I thought I knew what it meant to be a fully functioning human. Until I started reading the Bible, I'm made in the image of God. And God is the Trinity. He's three, you know, he's three, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, yet he's one. Separate, but... mm, Relational by nature. Made to walk with God made to be in community, made to live on mission, made as a vessel for the Almighty. God built me to inhabit me. Oh, my, my idea of what a person is gets expanded. See, this is what God, when you go to God's word, this isn't like, it's living, man. It gets inside of you. It does something. It expands your vision. It ex- expands your capacity. God's idea of those roles are so much deeper and more nuanced than what I thought. 
And this is what I mean. Walking with God is exciting because you get to hear and follow God's voice. Without, listen, without God's voice, you get religion. You get a bunch of rules to follow and events to attend, but no life-altering reality. No transcendence, no eternal presence breaking into your everyday life. No real life. No real life. So I want to ask you, is it worth it? Abram gave up his rights to the best land. Abram took his hands off of his material wealth. Abram held the things that God had given him loosely in his hand. He said, go ahead, Lot. Go ahead. You choose first. And God gave him back an eternal inheritance. And he gave him his very, his voice. In Matthew 16, 24 and 25, Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, if anyone would follow me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Listen, there is no other way. If you try to hold on to your life, if you try to hold on to a life of your own comfort and your own making, built on your desire for wealth and your desire for significance, outside of Jesus, you will lose it. When that life ends, hell An eternal separation from God is what you gain. You lose all those things. Everybody always says, you you never see a U-Haul behind a hearse. Right? You don't take anything with you. Everything you're working so hard to gain right now will be gone a second after your death. Except your communion with God, your life lived in communion, your relationships with believers, those go on. But today, now, in this life that you live right now, in this moment, if you can give up your desires, if you place your hand and your soul in the care of God. And you turn, listen, you turn from your old life. God doesn't give you an upgrade and clean. God gives you a whole new life, an expanded life, a much fuller life, a life lived in communion with him as your father, with the church as your family, and a life that will go on throughout all eternity in the family of God. Many of you will even take the good aspects of your work with you into the new creation, into life in eternity. I won't get to, right? I won't get to do that. 
There's nobody to preach to in heaven. Matt Chandler said this weekend, it, it would be really funny though. I stand up and I go, okay, Moses, uh, Moses, he said uh, about, about Abraham, right there, Abraham, wave your hand, Abraham. Okay, he, right? There's no, tell him the story, Abe. What'd you do? Right? My, my job's gone in heaven. So, okay, hopefully I've built this thing up where you're now at the point where, okay, let me see here. I have to repent. But he said earlier that I can't do this on my own. (laughs) I can't change my heart. Listen, Abram couldn't do it on his own either. Hebrews tells us that Abram didn't do this because he was a super disciplined and devoted dude. Abram obeyed God because he could see Jesus through the eyes of faith. See, Abram gave up his wealth so that he could keep a relationship with Lot. But Jesus, the true and better Abram, the one Abram was pointing to who would come 2,000 years later, Jesus gave up everything. Jesus gave up heaven. Jesus gave up comfort. Jesus gave up riches. Jesus gave up friendship. Jesus gave up union. Somehow, in the Godhead, he gave that up for a moment. He gave up his life. He gave up the intimacy between him and the Father. On the cross, we hear Jesus say, for the first time, he doesn't say, Daddy, Daddy. For the first time on the cross, Jesus says, My God, my God, quoting the Psalms, why have you forsaken me? Jesus felt forsaken. And what did God say to Jesus in that moment? Nothing. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Silence. Jesus had already said, take this cup from me, but not my will, your will. You've glorified me. Glorify yourself again by killing me. Keep finish this work. This is why I came. But in the moment, he felt the separation. He felt the father turn. He felt the silence. My God, my God, silence. Jesus gave up the voice of God so that we could hear it. So that Abram could hear it. Jesus gave up everything so that like Abram, like God said to Abram right here, we could hear God say, I will give it to you. Look across the land, I'll give it to you. He he says to us, I will give you myself. I will come and live in you. I will give you a new life, a bigger life, a more expanded life, a more nuanced life, a more real life. I will do it and I will move in. Eugene Peterson in the message says that Jesus became flesh, moved into the neighborhood. He'll move into. Only, listen. So how do I do this? How do I repent? How do I turn directions? 
only by seeing Jesus' radical generosity and Jesus' radical humility and Jesus' radical sacrifice on our behalf will we be able to be like Abram and give up our rights. Abram gave up his rights because he knew one was coming who would give his rights up. It's the empowerment. It empowers us. The gospel empowers us. So you can't go home and pull pull yourself up by your boots and say, I'm going to do it. I'm going to turn. I'm going to stop doing that. That's not the way to do it. We have to look to the cross. Jesus' sacrifice empowers me. He did it for me. He'll do it in me. Jesus, let me see your sacrifice. Let me see your work. Let me experience it. Let me feel it. Let me sense it. Let me know it. Let me believe it. Only a heart changed by the gospel can give up its rights and rest in the grace of God. For those of you who haven't given up the fight, you're still locked. You're still judging by your eyes and you're still scheming. You're still trying to figure out a way to manage and to work and to get around it. I'm going to tell you, give up. Give in. He's offering you rest. That's exhausting. Your life is exhausting. Trying to prove yourself trying to justify yourself, trying to get rid of the guilt and the shame. That's exhausting. Jesus offers you his perfect righteousness. Take it. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that myself, I'm a broken, sinful, lot-like man who judge and make decisions and direct the course of my life many times through my eyes and not through faith. And I thank you, Jesus, for knowing I'm like that, for dying for me, for giving me your righteousness and giving me your spirit so that you can produce in me this Abraham-like repentance. And I pray that you would do that in this church today. Produce repentance in your people. Let the potter's hands do its work. Mold us, shape us, pull out impurities, pull out things that don't need to be there. Remind us of the gospel as you're doing it so we don't think you're killing us. This is for our good. This is for your glory. And today, as we come to the Lord's table, May we reach out, may we reach out and receive. We didn't earn this. We don't deserve this. This is a gift of your grace. Holy Spirit, produce God-like or gospel-centered repentance in our hearts and let us be a people who walk humbly before our God. In Jesus' name, amen.